Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture with me, Robert Bounds. This week we're rounding up the must-see TV series coming to North American and British screens this autumn. From politics to the apocalypse with some family-friendly comedy and murder mysteries thrown in for good measure, there is plenty hitting the small screen to keep us glued well into winter. Although let's hold that thought, please, while we still have some summer left. And joining me to give their expert tips from both sides of the Atlantic are the TV journalist and broadcaster Scott Bryan and TV critic for The Washington Post, Ingu Kang. Welcome both to the programme. Lovely to have you here. Lovely to be here. Hi. Yeah, and you guys have been, I think we were trying to think, it's it's, it's almost the first anniversary of your radio brilliance on this very programme. So it's lovely to have the dream team back together. So let's kick off, guys. We're going to go back and forth with um, taking it in turns between the two of you to tell me about what's been on your TV radars. But we're going to start with a series that you're both keen to talk about, and that is Impeachment American Crime Story. We're going to play a quick clip, um, and then Ingo, I'm going to come to you. But this is American Crime Story Impeachment. President, do you know a woman named Monica Lewinsky? That's me, that's my face. This isn't about justice. Then what is it about? Impeachment. William Jefferson Clinton, do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth? nothing but the truth so help you God. I do. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Ha. Well, I think we all know where we are with this one, but Ingo, can you set the scene for us a bit on impeachment American crime story? Picture it. 1997. Washington, D.C. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this is the third season of American Crime Story, which, of course, made a huge splash with its first season, sort of recounting the O.J. Simpson trial. I think its second season about the spree killings of Andrew Cunanan sort of didn't do as well. And now we're back with the third season. This is a Ryan Murphy joint. It's going to have Sarah Paulson in it, obviously. Beanie Feldstein is going to play Monica Lewinsky. And it's really a a show that feels like it's coming at like the currents of two big cultural happenings in at least the U.S. right now. One of which is to go back to these tabloid scandals of the 90s and go back to look at what perspectives were missing. And Impeachment, American Crime Story, is really going to focus on three women at the center of the scandal. Linda Tripp, played by Sarah Paulson, Monica Lewinsky, and Paula Jones. A lot of the show is about how these women's pain and their trauma get co-opted for nefarious purposes by people, by right-wing players who do not care about their sexual assaults or sexual harassment incidents. It's about taking these women and using them for their own personal gain. I think that the other cross-current was Me Too, right? Um, And I think we are really interested in revisiting a lot of these uh, stories that we thought we knew and looking at what it felt like to be in the female perspective, because we know more or less what Bill Clinton's uh, whole deal was. But we don't really know things from the Lewinsky-Jones angle. Uh, I think that the show takes a lot of creative license with Linda Tripp, because Linda Tripp is dead, while Monica Lewinsky is still alive. And so I think that she's sort of positioned a little bit as kind of a chess player. 
a really devious chess player. But yeah, we'll see. Also, Clive Owen, a very British actor playing Bill Clinton, is, as we say uh, on Twitter, a choice. But who would expect anything else from Ryan Murphy? <laughs> yeah. And, and you, it's fascinating, as you say, it is the, the confluence of so many different things that have reared their heads necessarily in the last year or two, um, Ingu. Scott, um, what, what's the sort of, what, what strikes you as the sort of atmosphere um, of, of impeachment American crime story? As, as Ingu says, you know, it's taking the side that wasn't ta- that wasn't people weren't interested in, or the press weren't so interested in, and used it as prurience. But what's the what's the sort of vibe you're getting off of this? I mean, I think these sort of dramas, and there are quite a few at the moment that are looking back at periods of history that people are quite familiar are, uh, about, and then um, having a bit of a, um, a a retelling. I think already gets a large audience in because they feel very familiar to the story. Um, But then I think that what Ryan Murphy's always done so well is by having that attention to detail. So it feels like you are watching that era, even though it's been filmed two decades or even three decades on. And I think it's it's, it's an interesting one, this, because if you look at Ryan Murphy's work, he signed a um, $300 million deal with Netflix and he's created a string of programmes for them over the years. So The Politician, Hollywood, The Prom, Ratchet, and arguably, in my opinion, none of them have really ever been as popular and I think as, as well made as American Crime Story. But the other thing is that American Crime Story is still part of his old FX deal. So it might be on Netflix in the future, particularly internationally, because these dramas are. But it's actually tied to his old work, his his existing deal that he did prior to this big 300 million one. So there has been concerns about whether he's been spreading himself a bit too thinly by just working on multiple projects at the same time. But I think he still stands out in TV in in this era where you're having Hollywood stars crossing over all the time, so much money being pumped into it because he's always keen on bringing in perspectives and uh, bringing in a new angle to stories that you might already feel very familiar with. And the fact that they have Monica Lewinsky involved as a producer, she's been giving interviews in the US press over the last week saying that, that she was involved in terms of giving notes that she had a um, therapist along with her to ensure that um, the story was being told but it wasn't trying to relive the trauma that she's experiencing and also that Monica really wanted to highlight about how she's experienced long-term implications in terms of cyberbullying in regards to this scenario and she never wanted um, this to be repeated for anyone else in the public eye again. It'll be interesting to see whether people's perception of this era will actually change. I mean, that's a that's a very noble thing to say, right? But I think that I'm going to push back on Scott a little bit. I think part of the fun of this being a Ryan Murphy production is not just the empathy that it is able to bring, um, as it did for, say, Marsha Clark, the prosecutor, the very pilloried prosecutor in the O.J. Simpson season. I think part of it is just the real kind of campy fun of all of these really sometimes really offbeat casting choices you know like who would have expected that 
John Travolta would show up in an OJ story wearing like the world's weirdest uh, hair plugs. Who would have expected uh, Ross from Friends would play OJ Simpson's best friend? I think there is a little bit of that here. There's not as much. I'm really looking forward personally to Billy Eichner playing Matt Drudge, the online journalist who sort of really uh, broke the story about Lewinsky and made like internet news breaking and industry. He was a pioneer in that. He's also a very gross man, but you know, I <laughs> feel like that's going, <laughs> <laughs> I think that the that's going to come back in. Sarah Paulson gained 30 pounds to play Linda Tripp. She is completely unrecognizable. I'm pretty sure she's wearing some kind of heavy nose prosthetic. And so, yeah, like, I'm really interested in the human side of this. I'm also really interested in Ryan Murphy's love of artificiality coming to play in this, because I think that that is going to be a part of the American crime story experience. Um, yeah, and, and, and talking about the bringing out the personalities in you as well, just, um, just, just, you know, on the basis of the trailer, Beanie Feldstein, as, as, as Monica Lewinsky, plays a kind of acute really naive shy young woman caught up in you know media prurience it seems and they've done dual interviews i think as scott was saying in in the hollywood reporter and elsewhere that seems like a uh, uh, I don't know, a subtle reading of, of that character. She's 22 when she had this affair, and they do mention that in the very first episode. And I was watching this, and I just kept thinking to myself, the audience is going to turn on her. I know part of this project is supposed to try to continue this Monica Lewinsky reputation refurbishment project that she has been on for quite a few years now. And of course, she has every right to try to salvage what she can of her reputation. But at the same time, she, at least in the first couple of episodes that I saw, comes off as so drippy and so naive. And audiences really, I think, don't care for that kind of like drooly teenage girl type of mooning over some man who clearly has no serious interest in her, which is essentially what we get out of the depiction of the affair. And so I'm very curious to see whether people will actually side with Monica Lewinsky, despite that being sort of the the intention of the show. Okay, well, that's interesting. There, there are points for and against, it sounds, impeachment, American crime story, new from Ryan Murphy. Watch it for Beanie Feldstein's Monica Lewinsky. Maybe watch it for Sarah Paulson's uh, and Clive Owen's nose prosthetics. As Inga Kang <laughs> points out, they are <laughs> there's there's some wonderful profiles uh, in this program. That is Impeachment American Crime Story. And it's out on the seventh of September on FX in the US, um, and it'll be available to stream on Hulu. The UK release details are yet to be announced. Watch this space. He says, not leaving a space because you don't want dead air on the radio. Scott, we're coming to you. We're talking Vigil. This is uh, new from the makers of Line of Duty and Bodyguard. It's a BBC production. Should we have a little bit of a clip so that we know where we are, whether we're on foot or on horseback? This is Vigil. I think this was a murder. That's absurd. If you're asking who's capable, anybody... This is a coordinated attack, sir. Everyone knows it's a cover-up. You're going to let them die? This is a staggering act of hostility. But we're not at war. That is an illusion. 
a really relaxing drama on Sunday night just after <laughs> just after the Antiques Roadshow, so having to calm you into the week. Um, yeah. Not tense in the slightest. Not going to make you stay up really late, worried about nuclear Armageddon. Um, this is um, a new six-part series that's just started on BBC One. It was on during the bank holiday weekend. And it's from the uh, creators of Line of Duty, executive produced um, by a production company called World Productions, who are known for doing incredibly tense thrillers such as Bodyguard, which was a huge hit back in 2018. And the reason why I'm interested in this this show is for two reasons, really. One is just that it's a brilliant, tense thriller. I mean, it really is. It stars Shuran Jones and Martin Compston. Um, on a nuclear submarine and Shuran Jones's character is asked to go and investigate a mysterious death of somebody on board this nuclear submarine as well as the disappearance of a Scottish fishing trawler and it is like a police procedural but it's on its head in a way because the fact that um, because it has nuclear weapons on it can't go back to the surface means that she's essentially the detective is cut off from the mainland cut off from the rest of her team And in the same way that Line of Duty, which was a huge British hit and there's a lot of anticipation about whether there'll be another series, um, uh, and that drama looked at police corruption, this one looks at the relationship between the police who are in this drama, at least trying to have transparency and trying to ensure that justice is done, versus the need of the military who might want to keep things hush-hush in the needs of national security. But the second reason why I'm um, a big fan of this, as well as the first one being that it's incredibly well plotted, it's um, edge of your seat, is the fact that it comes at a time in British drama where we're having a rise of these sort of event-style TV shows where you have to watch it live, you have to feel like part of a national moment, partially because you don't want to have spoilers, but also because there's something in the joy of collective viewing. And you only have to look at the viewing figures. You know, Line of Duty, which was on in the spring of 2021, has 12.8 million viewers, which is some of the highest drama ratings that we've seen on any British channel for 20 years. And that's at a time of, of course, so much streaming services being available, the internet being a constant distraction. And it shows that you can make a drama that really gives public service broadcasters like the BBC an edge over much well more funded um, uh, streaming services, which you just watch in your own time. So in uh, the first two episodes have just aired on the Sunday and Monday during the bank holiday. Um, but then the next uh, four episodes will be shown on every subsequent Sunday at 9pm. I know what Ingu's going to ask about this. Where are we with kind of um, nose prosthetics and heavy makeup? <laughs> are are there any staggering uh, kind of, uh, are there any actors and actresses kind of with ridiculous big ears or noses or, or anything like that? No, but I interviewed Connor Swindell, who is in Sex Education, which is a brilliant comedy drama but written by Laurie Nunn, which is on Netflix. And he also stars in this. And he said that he had to have a lot of makeup applied to his face because there's multiple times when he was walking around the set where he would bang his head because <laughs> they would have the interior, which was really cramped, of the same size and scale of a submarine um, for all of the interior sets. But it meant that everyone was just getting injured because things were really low and were very, very compact. 
<laughs> that is a good fact. I I didn't know how you were going to answer that stupid question of mine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for giving it literal airtime. <laughs> so, <laughs> always happy to help. Uh, and that is as recommended by Scott Bryan Vigil. It's a six-part series. Um, it's out every Sunday evening on BBC One. International release um, is yet to be announced, but it looks like a thriller that'll be gobbled up um, on the TV markets. Inga, we're going to uh, come back to you for why the Last Man. This is a ten-part series based on a comic book of the same name by Brian K. Vaughan and Pierre Guerra. Should we have a little clip to get us in the mood? Madam President, power plants will start to shut down. Which, which city? All of them. Somewhere is the answer to how this all happened and how we fix it. Who are you? York. You're reproductively interesting. Wow. Okay. Uh... <laughs> that was a good place to finish, wasn't it? I like that. That's going to be my next party line. Hello, I'm Ingo. I'm reproductively interesting. Yeah, and then someone just goes, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so this is a sort of well set set the scene, Ingo. We're in we're in a sort of I don't know whether we 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 describe a world without men as post apocalyptic or. <laughs> deeply refreshing paradise. What are we <laughs> paradise uh so where are we here and what's going on this is a sci-fi series in which essentially all of the men or i should say all people with a y chromosome basically just die off one day and it is up to everyone who has remained alive uh to put society back together but of course uh why the last man is called that because there is one guy always there there's just always one dude who actually happens to be a professional escape artist i don't know how this comes into play uh <laughs> who uh, survives and he has no idea why nobody around him has any idea why in the comic books at least there is an international manhunt for him and also he has a capuchin monkey just like ross on friends for some reason <laughs> <laughs> this is excellent this is kind of a bit like i mean have, doing a p- p- police procedural on a submarine is an excellent kind of like you know how do how do we up the ante this has gone even further right this is kind of like getting lots of plots from lots of different things putting them in a scrabble bag and then having to pick out individual individual letters right it's amazing and it's it seems like a, a an amazing mashup of lots of different things I guess so. I think that as many post-apocalyptic narratives that we have had, as many as we have had, we haven't had really too many, uh, because it's dicey, theorizing what would happen if a certain group of people suddenly died off. And so I think this will be a really interesting thought experiment of a show. The fact that it is based on a pre-existing property sort of gives me actually a little bit of hope because hopefully... Uh, it will be a little bit more focused than just, you know, this like random concept of what if all people with a Y chromosome died off. But I think the part for me as someone who is really into process is uh, the idea that basically men have been so much in charge of not just, you know, politics and power, but just infrastructure the creator of the show, or I guess the showrunner of the show, has talked a lot about how, you know, if you want to go to the supermarket in the U.S. at least, uh, you need to have two truck deliveries per day. And only 5% of truck drivers 
are women. And so you're going to have this massive destruction of all of our infrastructure. And then, of course, there's a sort of the natural, like, oh, so is human society going to die off in the next 70 years or so? Personally, I think that I'm okay with it, but the characters on the show absolutely will not be. And so I look forward to seeing how they grapple with that. <laughs> I mean, this has obviously got lots of kind of a bit of post-apocalyptic camp about it. You know, there's lots of, there's a bit of, there's the deserted streets of 28 Days Later and all the rest of it. Easy to shoot it last year, of course, when no one was, <laughs> no one was out and about. But it looks like it might take itself quite seriously, Ingu. Or is, does it have an arched eyebrow at all? <laughs> I've seen one episode so far. I, my eyebrow did not go up at any point. I can also tell you that within the first five minutes, they crashed a helicopter just for funsies. So this is going to be a lavish project. And they shot it quite a while ago. And I think that they're going to be country hopping. And so if you haven't gotten out in a while or you don't feel comfortable traveling, maybe the post-apocalypse is for you. Post-apocalyptic globetrotting courtesy of Why the Last Man. And that is uh, coming out on FX and Hulu on the 13th of September in the United States. It'll be available on Disney Plus in the UK from September the 22nd. Ingu, thank you very much for talking us through that one. Scott, coming back to you in this televisual tennis match. And you're talking about the fall of the House of Maxwell. Do you remember Maxwell House coffee in the 80s? I do. It was sort of like gold blend, slightly poorer cousin, wasn't it? This isn't about that, is it? No, but (laughs) interestingly enough, Robert Maxwell, and this looks at the rise and fall of his media empire, uh, Robert Maxwell is not his real name. He originally was born in Czechoslovakia. And then when he moved to the UK, he named himself Robert Maxwell because of the coffee brand, because he felt wow. that it was a British sounding name and it would make him feel because he really wanted to be part of the British establishment. So so, so funnily enough, there is a link here. But, but... Scott, you've done it twice. <laughs> I say, I say idiotic things. And you come back with a genuine fact about them. I can't believe this. Let's not risk it all for a third time. I'm going to fall down <laughs> if we do this right. for another, another opportunity, I swear. Thank you, Scott, for, for picking, picking me up by my bootstraps there. That's amazing. OK, so the fall of the House of Maxwell. Yes, so he was, the, he was, a, he was a media mogul, a sort of self-made man, a man with great problems. And, and, and they continue, or the, they continue in the family. And it's a fascinating um, thing. There's been, it was a really good radio series recently and podcast series about this what's the sort of atmosphere of this what sort of people have been have been putting this this show together i mean it's it's uh, created with the involvement of people who were sort of close to him in his life and it's also off the back of a whole string of bbc documentaries that look into different media empires or different rises and falls in terms of power particularly political power so there was the rise of the Murdoch dynasty that was uh, that won a string of awards on uh, BBC Two a couple of years ago that looked at Murdoch and the relationship with his family and the whole succession vibes in terms of what happens um, if uh, Rupert Murdoch decides to stand down within the company much more down to also Trump and there was a great show also called The Trump Show that was a kind of uh, allowed you to have the perspective of the Trump presidency kind of retold by people who were close to the administration. And it 
gave it, uh, I think, a sense of perspective because, of course, with the Trump administration, everything was so dystopian and so dramatic, but also on such a short-term basis that it, it you needed a documentary like this to take stock of everything that had really happened. So this third documentary, The Fall in the House of Maxwell, will look at his rise and fall of his media career, which sort of was, you know, at one time huge, particularly in the 1970s and the 1980s. He acquired a lot of money and power through publishing. He then crossed into um, newspapers. He bought the Daily uh, Mirror in the UK. But then it just collapsed after it became very apparent that he had been involved in the pension plan and basically plundering it to help prop up other parts of the business. And the whole business fell apart just after his rather mysterious death that took place in 1991 off his yacht, the Lady Ghislaine. So it's a story that, yet again, a bit like um, some of the others we've been talking about in this episode, like American Crime Story, that have happened within our lifetime in for real. And um, while some um, shows are going into drama depictions, which of course might have some sort of creative license. I think we're also having the arrival of meticulous, very well put together documentaries that look at it very factually, but with a sense of energy to it or with some sort of easy, attachable narrative as well. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating stuff. I'm really looking forward to this uh, this documentary series. And obviously, you mentioned that the, his yacht, he, he went missing off, off his yacht and drowned. The name of that yacht was the Lady Ghislaine. Ghislaine Maxwell, his daughter, is obviously caught up in, in allegations of all sorts of awfulness with, with, with Jeffrey um, Epstein as well, right? I mean, this, this kind of the saga of the Maxwell seems to go on and on. Does, does this programme also dip its toes into, into that story? It does. I mean, it does look at the allegations of um, enticement of minors and sex trafficking with underage girls, allegations that she denies. There are also many podcasts that have also been looking at Ghislaine. But it it is interesting because what that her upcoming uh, trial has also done is just given this, I think, a, a renewed sense of energy of looking back at her father. Um, I, I think some podcasts and some shows have done it really well in terms of giving an overview. Some have been quite quickly put together in the hope of getting a lot of viewers through the door. I particularly liked um, Fall, which is a book by John Preston that I think looked at Robert Maxwell's life and all of its complexity, um, but were also able to give an insight into the real life consequences of um, the collapse of his businesses on the people who worked for him and the people who trusted him. So I think that you know, this won't be the last sort of show, obviously, that we'll look at the Maxwells. But I feel that the fact that it comes from BBC Two and the fact that it comes off a string of other very well meticulous, balanced, unsensational style programmes, I think gives this one at least a, a sense of credibility that I would um, very much look forward to watching. Perfect. Well, that is the fall of the House of Maxwell. And that is it's coming up. On BBC Two in the autumn, we don't have a precise date for that. Thank you, Scott, very much uh, for talking us through that. Inga, we're going to finish with you and the other two. Sure. This is a show only about nose prosthetics. It stars <laughs> Molly Shannon as a nose prosthetic. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) So this is a show about a couple of siblings. Uh, They are basically 28, 29. One is a failing actor. The other one is a failing, used to be a dancer, but now is just sort of like a layabout. And they are in New York. They think that they are on, they are doing like, okay, right? But every time that you think that you're doing okay, there's someone who is younger, who is more successful, who you learn about, and then you feel like an absolute failure. And in the case of these two siblings, it's actually their 13-year-old brother, who goes viral after he creates a song called Marry You at Recess, and then becomes basically the next Justin Bieber. So they were already feeling really terrible about themselves. And now that they have been completely uh, surpassed by their teenage baby brother, they feel even worse about themselves. But then they think, well, maybe we can sort of ride his success into us doing something with our lives. And so there's a sort of really interesting tension between wanting the siblings to do something to help their brother who is being caught up in all sorts of weird showbiz shenanigans and then also sort of like wanting to use his fame in order to either get uh, their own acting career off the ground or in the case of the sister use him as a manager to try to find any sort of career. Molly Shannon plays the sibling's mother. She is, of course, perfect. And Ken Marino uh, plays a very Ken Marino-esque character where he plays a sort of hapless manager who found this 13-year-old kid and made him a star, but he also has no idea how to go about doing literally anything. <laughs> this sounds excellent. I think we've all got a young nemesis, haven't we? I mean, it, I, I love the idea of this. I, I feel Let's like that. Let's name them now. Let's name them. <laughs> Scott. Yeah. Mine, oh, wow. Mine's not Scott. Mine, mine is Scott. Yeah, mine's Scott. Let's get it out in the open. Younger, better looking, more successful. Damn him. <laughs> I think what's really great about the show is not just the sibling dynamic, but there's. I think it speaks to something about uh, the millennial condition, at least on this side of the ocean. There is so much about how millennials have been having a lot of difficulty getting off the ground and launching into adulthood. And now you feel like you haven't really gone where you want to go. And then at the same time, you have to sort of concede youth to this new generation, who for whatever reason seems to be so much more poised and ready to capitalize on success, and just seems to like know more than you. Again, this is not commentary about Robert and Scott, but if that's the way that they're going to read it, that's totally fine, too. (laughs) I think the other great thing about the show is that it is just full of, like, perfect one-liner after perfect one-liner. So good. If you've seen The 30 Rock, if you've seen Difficult People, there's a sort of, like, ping-pongy quality to this where you almost, like, don't want to laugh at a joke because then you might miss the next joke. And... Uh, I think it goes right up to the uh, edge of mean, but then it also knows how to pull back. So you t- you mentioned that this is kind of, you almost want to stop laughing so that you don't miss the next joke, such as the quality of the writing. So this is um, former Saturday Night Live head writers Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider. They're the creative forces behind this one, which is the other two, which is on HBO Max now. Ingu Kang, thank you very much indeed for talking us through that and the other things and for highlighting the fact that Scott Bryan is my nemesis. 
Uh, I didn't really realise <laughs> that that came so that came so hot, heatedly through the microphone. But there you go. <laughs> the other two is out on HBO Max now. Well, thank you to my guests today, both wonderful Scott Bryan and Ingu Kang. Thanks, of course, to my producer Holly Fisher and researcher Sophie Monaghan Coombs. Uh, and we will all be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thank you very much for tuning in. <laughs>